Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots. Welcome to Growing Up Fire, episode 16. I got the Notorious Bissell Brothers with their better halves, Nan and Krista, with me here today. I'm up in the Wabuska Fire Hall in beautiful MD of Opportunity. Thanks for coming, everybody. They're all super nervous. They're sitting here staring at me. You know how this goes. <laughs> Right. For me, I'm super excited. Kirsten's here with us as well. And I've been talking to her about this now for weeks, probably months, ever since the Lee and Mike were dumb enough to say yes, they would come on the podcast. <laughs> Asked them to drag their wives into it. They're here, but uh, I'm not exactly sure that they're happy about it. It's all good. We'll get them in on the conversation and keep it going from there. So for me, the Bissell Brothers, it's kind of been a mainstay the last 10, 12 years, working with the Slave Lake Fire and Wabasco Fire Departments. We've been on some big, big fires together, done some cool stuff together. Had lots of, I guess, deep discussions about how fire departments are run in different parts of the country and by different people. I'll, I'll leave it at that. And just a pair of characters, right? So when I say the Notorious Bissell Brothers, for everybody out there, right, you know who I'm talking about. You met these guys before. You know, the East Coast folks are cheering right now because you guys are back. This is like being at the church brewery in Wolfville. They're ready to roll. I got my pants on. Yeah, that's it. He kind of has pants on. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, they're excited. We I didn't let them drink before this, so we're not going to get a reenactment to the church brewery, but uh, it should still be a good time. So thanks for everyone for being here. Uh, appreciate it. Let's start with you, Lee. So kind of tell me about growing up in Nilda and High Prairie and all the things that happened with the family mill. When you were born, you were kind of expected to know how to run heavy equipment and turn wrenches. Yeah. So you're like three years old. You're on the knee of somebody inside of the... Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I remember riding around in trucks and equipment from when I was very young, being around the equipment, the equipment being close to home. Basically, vacations and after school. We're usually somewhere around the logging equipment with dad. You're, you're kind of like the free slave labor that they Pretty get much. for part yeah. of the... Okay, so and as part of that, we were talking today, and you were talking about having to learn how to use the fire hose and how to be on fire watch. And Well, and that's, yeah, we were free slave labor, which is a good way to put it. And uh, we got odd jobs, and we filled in wherever they kind of needed us. So we learned how to use shovels when we were young. Or give us something to distract us so that yeah. we keep us keep us occupied so that other things weren't being broken. Keep you two busy. Yeah, Oof. yeah. So I guess give two brothers one shovel. That's one way to keep people out of it, right? Yeah, give you some rocks and uh, let you throw at each other and those kinds yeah. of things. So yeah. I was I was actually told by one of the old truck drivers that worked for Grandpa that my first job, he saw me carrying like one of those little plastic sand pails and a flat screwdriver. And I was popping the rocks out of the log truck tires. And he said, I must have been like four. I was walking around the log trucks and that was my job, I told him. Trying to get a pail full of rocks yeah. and trade it for something. <laughs> something. His, <laughs> Another screwdriver. <laughs> one of his first jobs was to wash all of dad's wrenches in a pail, five gallon pail of diesel fuel. Yeah. Yeah. Super safe back in the day. Oh, yeah. Super safe. Arms reach, you know. Break <laughs> <laughs> to my elbows in diesel yeah. fuel. Hey, hey, you. With the covered in diesel fuel, come do fire watch for us. Yeah. Use a cutting torch. <laughs> and yeah, if, if you were around the planer or the sawmill or even the sometimes logging equipment, you kind of had to watch if dad was welding or somebody else was doing something. Watch for fire. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
So it was just kind of a thing. It, it, it They talked about it around the mill. They talked around it about the table. and Grandpa was very nervous about fire. He uh, he actually told us when he was young, he was actually, I think he was coming up to Wabasco or he was coming home from something and a vehicle bur- broke down and he was trying to fix the fuel pump and he was laying underneath it and he was working on it and he said he couldn't and he, he cursed and the guy that was with him said, what's wrong? And he's like, I can't see. I wish I had a light. And the guy reached down with a lighter and flicked the flicked the lighter, <laughs> not thinking. And he said, the grandpa said, like, immediately he just rolled into the ditch and rolled over. But the, the kid that was with him was so scared, he ran all the way to town and told them that he burnt Kenny. So grandpa, then he said, then I had to go back underneath the vehicle and put the fuel pump back together so that he could drive to town. <laughs> but yeah, he... Yeah, so and, fire wasn't his friend. He was looking out for it. Yeah, know. and like when we were young, I remember the one bur- the one logging job we had was in a burn, and every piece of equipment we had caught fire at least once that winter, and they were getting steamed once a week. So you're so always so dry and so yeah, and yeah. then basically everything raining down on them was tinder dry and already partially burnt. So so Mike, how do you remember it? Same sort of story. Same same sort of- story. I remember. Cause we had the two beehive burners at the mill. Right. And if it was really dry and hot and the wind was right, we'd be out there with a fire hose just in case. Cause you know, sawdust everywhere, log piles, you know, sitting there waiting and you know, nothing ever happened, Yeah, but we were there. You were, you were wishing it was. <laughs> I mean, you fought yeah, a lot like, of fire. Yeah. Fake know, fire. Back fought then. a lot of fake fire. Yeah. <laughs> we were more pissed around with the fire hose than anything. But, you know. So kind of baptized into it at a young age, kind of things like that. So that's good stuff. So Lee, then you and Nan decide you're making the big move up to Wabasca, Wabasca, Alberta, from Manilda. You're mo- moving to the big city of Wabasca. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, we were in Camrose for four years, and they sold the car wash, and we were looking for something to do, and I had family up here, lots of family actually. Came up for a visit, went for a drive, and we found three acres of land backed onto a lake with a church that was built in 1936. Asked if we could walk around the property and the realtor said, yeah, sure, I could get someone to show it to you. And I said, well, we're just gonna look. And I don't know, about four months later, I put in an offer. And uh, Nan's a city girl, so first time coming up to Wabasco was a little nerve wracking for her. And then she I think it's still a little nerve wracking for her. No, no. It, well, actually, at, at first she didn't. She called it north of sixty. <laughs> <laughs> at least the but, road's paved now. Yeah, the, yeah, road, the, fair, the yeah. road throughout the basket. Once it was paved, that it made her a lot happier. And uh, she actually, I think, prefers now the quieter, slower pace of a small town compared to being in the city in a rush all the time. That huge noise you hear in the background, folks, that's Nan. She's talking a mile a minute. You can't tell. <laughs> it, might, it might take more coaxing to get her involved. She's here. You have to take my word for it at this point. <laughs> All right. So you get up here, you get working, and someone says to you. One of the guys I worked with, he kept harassing me to join the fire department. And then finally the one night he said, hey, we're having a steak night. Why don't you just come out and meet the crew and, you know, see what you think about them. And then after I ate the free steak, he's like, so you come to practice? Oh, so so many thousands of us went down to the free steak, you know, sucked in. Yeah. Right. Bamboozled. Yeah. That and then to Mike, I was like the to family know, connection. I'd like to know where these free steaks are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
You got the free. I mean, hey, uh, your brother wants to be a firefighter. We got a hot dog today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had round steak too. Oh, round yeah. Right. So hamburger is a ground up steak. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he's here. He's on the fire department now. Enter. Uh, well, approximately ten years ago, I came here for two weeks of work, and I've been here since. And in the evenings, I had nothing to do. And Lee's like, well, why don't you come to the fire department? So here I am. Another one later. bites the dust. Another one bites the dust. <laughs> so it was fun today to listen to you guys talk about that, right? Because we all get sucked into the fire department in a different way, in our own way, right? And so, you know, Lee's here first, right? Nan's involved in the fire service kind of if she likes it or not because she's married to you. You come, meet Krista. Let's hear your story. How do you get sucked into being on the fire department? We had dinner with my mom and dad in Slave Lake just after we started dating. And on the way back, he got a page. So we drove right past the fire. I dropped him off at the hall and went to his mom's place. And we pretty much sat up all night because there was no sleeping. So then I'd go and help clean up and I was hooked. It's that simple, eh? Yeah. There's a choice. You could sit at home and wonder what he's doing, or you could just go down there and do it. Be there and be his backup. Right? That's right. Yeah. Kick the door down. How do you like me now? <laughs> it's, all, it's all you, right? Love it. I can actually remember some of those early days when we were all training together and how it was going. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know how you ended up still getting merrier, but uh, well done, Mike. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> So, Nan, I know that uh, we've had to ask you to stop talking so much on the podcast. <laughs> Around here, I would call you the den mother, right? So you're famous in, in my stories. Kirsten knows you from these stories. Hey, can you come up here and do some training? So I'm up here and we're doing some training up here. And then it was lunchtime. And we had probably, like, it's in my top 10 greatest lunches at a fire hall ever. That day introduced me to, what was it called? Neoki. Neoki, right? So I was just like, wow, this is insane, right? How, how did they get her to do this? And so, so how's it been for you? You're, you're kind of like the den mother, the administrator, the, the cook, the cleaner, bottle washer. Yeah. Those red doors that you go through, it's like the twilight zone. You walk through and you don't know what happened. You just keep coming back. This <laughs> <laughs> constant, hey, come and help yeah. us. And, right? I. I got to tell you, though, from my perspective, it's more than that, right? I mean, all the firefighters love you. All the firefighters respect you. You know, you feed them, so it's pretty easy. You know, they look to you for that guidance and, and those things, right? I will also say that being the fire chief's wife is no easy picnic. I think Kirsten will be on your team for that one. So, you know, as your husbands move up in, in different roles, it becomes, you know, that leadership piece, that that maybe a little more complaining piece where you got to come home and say, did you see that knucklehead at the last fire and what they were doing? H how do you handle that? How, how do you like that piece for both of you? At the fire hall, we're not married. Nice. Well played. I'm a firefighter. He, Mike's deputy chief. We're not married. When we get home, that's home. Uh, they can't be intermingled. Oh, no, no, Mike. You don't get to say yet. <laughs> that's, that's when problems happen. If he hollers at me on to do something unseen, that's my role. And that's how you have to deal with and it. And if you holler at that home. Then yeah, he's in trouble. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, Nan, you end up staying at the fire hall helping with dispatch and, and all of the things that go on at the fire hall. How's that for you? <laughs> not, not all at once, Nan, just baby steps. <laughs> just little pieces at a time. <laughs> Do you like the dispatch role? Do you like the... Uh, yeah, Lee doesn't yell at me That at makes the sense hall. to me. Uh, he... I... <laughs> So, so Kirsten, you remember it. What, what was it like for you? You you actually didn't even have as active role as Chris or Nan at the fire hall, but you're always, you're getting a call from us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Can you pick this up for us? Can you go get that firefighter's wife? It Can wasn't you babysit actually kids? anybody calling me but you. <laughs> Let's get that right. The rest of the fire department never called. All right. To be fair, when our son started, I would get him to call you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't matter. You're right. I was coming, like like Nan said, the doors open and you get sucked back in. But I think that for me, because you were so passionate about it, if I didn't get involved, I was missing a piece of you or your life. So it was a part of our lives and you just did that. <laughs> I'm getting a little verklempt. A little tear. Oh, yeah. Little tear. No, so, you know what? You just, I think, like Nan and Krista, if you want to be part of our man's lives, it's part of your world. So we're going to join in. And that's the way it is. And I think we all enjoy it. Or we wouldn't be here. Yeah, but, no. Yeah, I agree. It, it's Lee so passionate about it. And in order to implement his passion, he needs help. And that's where we come in. Yeah. <laughs> he needs a lot of help. Actually. <laughs> yeah, like maybe if some people that could help him are listening, they could call in. Get reach out. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> you could get us through Instagram, Facebook, whatever. <laughs> I don't think the, the dispatch ladies, they don't, sometimes they don't feel like we, we value them as much. But knowing that they're there, Knowing that if we need something and if we if we get them a message, they won't stop until they find it. So that you have that lifeline. Yeah. You have enough. that security. Yeah. Fair yeah. Enough. It makes what we do out there. It, it takes a lot of other things off my mind. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, that's the backup for you. Yeah. Right. Little different, Mike and Krista, for you, because you might actually be ordering her in the harm's way because that's the job. So talk a little bit about that, how that works out. Sometimes it's tough because, you know, that you understand the situation, what the possibilities or the outcome could be. And it's like, you know, I might be incident command and I'm sending her into a burning building or, yeah, it's it weighs on your mind. But then I know she's solid. Like, she's got it. Like, yeah. that's what training's for. Definitely. So you're there worried about it. She's kicking the front door <laughs> yeah, and spraying it's water, like, you know. I don't worry about it till after, right? I it's like... Care. At the time, you're concentrating on what you're doing. You're doing your job. And then it's like after I get back and I'm like, you kind of play through your mind what's gone on. And it's just like, wow, this, you know, if this would have went sideways, we could have had so many other things wrong, right? You know, but no. But it didn't. And it was all good. <laughs> I had uh, I'd actually had a firefighter tell me once. It's like, well, you know, we've never really had anything like dangerous happen. I'm like, oh yeah, like that small explosion that knocked the guy over, give him a concussion, the steam burns to his arms and his chest. She goes, yeah, 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 but no, nothing, nothing else. I was like, oh, the tin roof collapsed and 
two of you were trapped underneath it and one of you came out without a helmet, stole the chief's helmet and then went back in to find your helmet and kept fighting the fire. Well, yeah, but you know, nothing really bad ever yeah, like happens. The we're just, you know, we're, we're just volunteer <laughs> yeah. firefighters. Nothing bad ever happens to us. I have no idea how that helmet came off, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> and chief wasn't using his helmet, so. Yeah, he was in the safe zone, so they just took his helmet. <laughs> no, for sure. It's all, it's all part of that family business thing. I actually never worry about these three on the fire scene. Yeah. At home around the fire pit a little bit once in a while. (laughs) Yeah, I I know they have uh, the intelligence and the training behind them. I mean, anything can happen, but aside from that, I don't worry about them when they're on scene. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. I, I the odd, the odd lawnmower right around the house, yeah. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, she didn't he, say in general she never worries about yeah. she, Just at the fire scene. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice. So, so Krista, did you ever think you'd be a firefighter? Was there ever, I mean, you're a welder, you're, you're doing a lot of jobs where you're breaking down stereotypes. So was being a firefighter something where you're like, yeah, I might do that? Back in the day, yes, but I never lived... When I thought about it, I didn't live close enough to town to respond, so it was never an option. And then I moved here, the last place in the world I ever thought I'd move to. and The very <laughs> last place. <laughs> I, I worked up here for almost eight, six to eight years before I met Mike, and he knew all of my coworkers, and we actually met down at Billy's in Red Deer. So, Ooh, yeah. That's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, I never thought I'd ever move to Wabasca because I had a farm happy down by St. Paul area and, well, kind of draws draws you in. Yeah, it does. I mean, some of that's that small town feel, right? That small town piece. You could be as busy or as quiet as you want to be, right? You know as many people or as few as you want to know. And you so, look out um, on the lake every day and it's there. It's worth yeah, it. Yeah, especially where you guys all live. Holy man. Best sunsets in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By far. Anywhere we've been. The best. Really? And oh. you've been a lot of places. Well, I've been a few places. <laughs> Not in the last two years, obviously. Course, yeah. <laughs> you should see them when there's like a massive wildfire on the other side of the lake. The sunsets are just... It's like priceless. every third year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And I mean, so let's talk about that. I mean, to me, like 2015 kind of, I guess, would be... So, you know, starts 2011 and there's all kinds of wildfires and stuff. But 2015, the dump gets rolling and we get mm-hmm. called and we show up here and we're all doing our chaos pieces around trying to put up sprinklers and, and do all of those things. I would say that up here, that was kind of one of the bigger first. There, there was an evacuation about five or six years before that. And they actually, we actually found some of the old cat guards on, out in Reserve A. One of the old timers was telling us he was quite worried about it because it had all grown back up again. Okay. So they had been evacuated before. But yeah, 2015 was my first rodeo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely that, right? More hose, more hose. No, yeah. no, more hose. <laughs> you don't when we when we say that you don't understand bring us more truckloads of hose <laughs> yeah all right and uh, so i think at that time you could simply say we were all still learning there was no uh, yeah. i don't think any of us were quite experts at that point yet you know fast forward to 2019 we're talking in the morning you give me a call say hey you know it's getting a bit ripe up here how do you feel about coming up for a visit so I said, yeah that's cool right grab the trailer grab ryan and uh just heading out of town to get a call from forestry and they're like we would really like it if you didn't leave town 
And so, you know, in forestry, he's fighting a bunch of forest fires and they ask you not to leave the town you're responsible for. So I phoned you back and mm-hmm. said, can I send you the very <coughs> next best thing? <laughs> and <you laughs> Which said. probably turned out to be the best thing. <laughs> Opinions will vary, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> so I sent, uh, I think, who did I send up here? Ryan and Logan? Uh, Ryan, Logan, and... Um, Jordan. Jordan. Okay, yeah. so sent up a bunch of the Fire Smart crew guys. Yeah. Who I like to think probably helped you out in different uh, and funnier ways than, than I probably They were awesome. It was awesome. They were awesome. It gave us that extra little kick we needed to get really organized because stuff was changing and growing so fast that my concern was that I wasn't going to know where everybody was just if it did hit us. It's so much manpower and so much equipment. And it was when we first called the POC and said we needed help, we were basically, it was us and Big Stone. So four engines and one tender. And then all of a sudden 30 more. And then iron started rolling in and crew started rolling in and like, you know, uh, full-time union guys come up to me and saying, hey, chief, where do you need us? What do you, what do you need? And you give them an orientation and a map and say, I, I need you guys to check on this. And they say, no problem, we got it. It was uh, kind of humbling. Yeah. Well, I remember when they were leaving town, right? They said, I, I'm not going to be able to go, right? Which, which killed me a bit. Having yeah. to phone you up and tell you that I couldn't come, right? But, uh, you know, send those good guys. And I just said, you know, go up there, convince them they're right. They, they know what to do. They know how to do it. But sometimes you need that person standing behind you saying, yeah, that's right. Go, 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 push, right? And, uh, you know, some questions about how to organize it and, and those kinds of things. And even though they're young guys, they certainly had been through plenty of those types of events and, and knew what to do and how to do it and, and they, kind of how to talk to people. They were very good. Very. They took a big load off the two of us. And we're kind of, we knew we were kind of headed in the right direction, but to have them come up and say, yeah, we've seen this before. This is, you're got it. We just got to kind of break it down a little bit and then learn how to move the stuff around the pieces around to keep everything working. Yeah. And to uh, me, it's uh, all those previous relationships. It's not like, you know, they're not three strangers rolling into this hall. It's all people you've worked with. It's all people that know you, you know them, you've been to each other's fire halls and and, uh, (laughs) it's kind of nice to just have that relationship where you don't have to build that on the first day. And you're yeah. like, oh, I don't know, Mike, what do you think? Are these guys okay? Right? You walk through the door and you're like, oh, yeah, these guys are a mess. I know these guys. <laughs> but I trust them, so let's roll. <laughs> do you remember asking me to come to your fire hall? No. Nan and I were in Slave Lake. I can't remember what we were doing. and We ran into you and you just walked up and said, hey, how's it going? We chatted for a minute and you told me, it's like, the next time you're in town, if you got a few minutes, can you swing by the fire hall? I'd like to talk to you. It's like, okay. It's like the first time ever that I met you sort of thing. <clears throat> we'd, I'd met you, I think, in Peace River. And we'd, we'd talked a couple times. To kind of, we met a couple times. And then you invited me to your fire hall. And then I, I made a point the next time I was going to be enslaved, I phoned you up. You showed me around the fire hall a little bit. And then you sat me down and you said, so what are you here for today? And I said, the last time I ran into you, you invited me to your fire hall and said, if I had a chance to talk, you wanted to talk. And you told me, you said... You remember that little evacuation you had? And once the guys saw that I knew you and you know me, all of a sudden both fire departments kind of just worked together. So once they kind of knew that we were okay with each other, he said everything just kind of worked. He said, I, we need more of that. He said, I want, I want 
your firefighters to know my firefighters. I want your officers to know my officers. I want when we run into each other, everybody to be comfortable, and it just goes. See, Kirsten? Back before I got old and senile, I knew things. Right. We'll write that down because I could use that one again. <laughs> That's good stuff. It, it, it's a good story. I actually don't remember that because, I mean, that story's happened to me thousands of times now. <laughs> but, I mean, it's as true today as it was back then, right? And yeah. it's cool that it resonated with you at that time. And I would say to you that I've watched you use that many, many times when I've been here. As I'm here, I like to try and get in there, help out. But after, I like to kind of slink away to the background and let you do your thing. This is your town and your firefighters and your people. And and so even in, in uh, 2015, there was times, right? Uh, Terry was still around then too. But, you know, you're still a big driving force when you're here. And, and it was fun to watch you. You know, I would say something about forestry and you'd be like, oh, I'll figure that out. Out the back door, across the yard, come back with an answer. Yeah, that's what I like, right? And so I would say that you guys are on the exact same page as, as all the things that I love to see, right? You like to know everybody. You like to know what they're doing. You like to interact with them. You were talking about helicopter rides with your firefighters today because we're sitting out the back door watching helicopters come and go from the hack base. So you know those folks. You know the people up at the shop. You know the big stone firefighters, right? They struggle a little bit. You bring them in and try and teach them, right? They start doing a good job over there. You don't mind going over and helping them out and boost them up. And so I would say that uh, you were already, before I ever said that, you were already kind of living that way or you wouldn't have stopped in and we wouldn't have talked like that, right? So um, I do. I, I mean... I like that. I think that all firefighters, it's kind of that ego, turf, time, and money piece I always talk about. Mm -hmm. We got to get rid of the turf. We got to get rid of the ego. We got to get the, right? Everybody's here being a firefighter. Everybody's helping out in their own way. We're kind of equal, right? So. Well, even that, that 2015 evac, when we did the end of it, I think you reminded me that before you let everybody go, ask them what was good, what was bad, and just be blatantly honest about it so you can fix things. And it was one of the Grand Prairie firefighters. We asked that question and he said, this is the first time I've been deployed that somebody gave me a map of town. And I kind of looked at Mike, or I kind of looked at Mike and I kind of looked around and I was like, oh, okay. And we wrote it down as a good thing. And I'm just like, and he's been deployed like dozens of times. Yeah, how like, could he so not have a map? <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking like, how, how do you get people into your town, ask them for help and not give them a map so they know where to go? But up to a certain point, people didn't have it yeah right like you can imagine 2011 people come to town i bet we didn't have six wall maps oh wow in our whole fire hall the town office is burnt down so you're not printing off anymore and it probably took two weeks to get somebody in that could hook up a plotter at the college and start to print us off maps and of course by then everybody knows everything because they've driven around right yeah i, I would say Probably until recently, <laughs> it was always like we'd put someone local with the crews so that, you know, you'd say, hey, go up to the berry patch. Everyone looks at you with a dumb look on their face. But that one firefighter that's tagged to you goes left, right, it's right here. Yeah. Oh, okay. Strawberry Lane. Makes sense. <laughs> right. But yeah, gathering those things up, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly, all those debrief pieces, you know, makes us better, makes us stronger. And it's funny because then when if you look at forestry, for example, you would never go on a fire without getting a map. It's just like the first thing they give you. Yeah. But we didn't really pick that up for a while, <laughs> right? Their, their logistics are strong. They're magicians in, in some of those areas. So, 
you know, most of what I learned on how to handle bad things is I remember listening to you, I think it was in Peace River at the Fire Chiefs in 2012 or 2013, you did a spiel on what happened to you guys. And it was kind of terrifying because we we're surrounded by forest. Yeah, and we have, right. we only had like two engines at that time. And back then, the Big Stone Fire Department and the Wabasca Fire Department didn't work very well together. So understanding, listening to you and all the troubles that you guys had, it started building a list in my head of things we needed to start working on. Because the possibility of it happening to us was very big. Well, it's, it's imminent, really, yeah. sadly. So, Mike, through those 2015 all the way up to 19, there's a bunch of different fires through there. There's we didn't few. even talk about 163 or some of the ones that were a little farther out, but that were big. What, what's some of your takeaways? What did you always think of those? Well, 2015 was my first, like, big fire, but I was a task force leader, so I was kind of, like, out in the field. I didn't know what was going on here. I didn't have that, you know, the stress of looking after a bunch of people. I was just looking after my truck and my task force. So fast forward to 2019 and then I'm DC and it's all of a sudden all these people are coming to me and I'm getting overwhelmed as I just, you know, there's so much going on. We've got so much happening. We've been up for 30 hours, starting with knocking on doors, chasing people out and, you know, and then uh, you send and, Ryan up as much as I don't like to say this to inflate his ego. He, <laughs> he, took, he doesn't he, listen to the podcast. He took a huge <laughs> load off me. I just, I like, I spent the whole day with him and he, we just drove around and he just filled my head with so many ideas of, you know, safety zones where, where's a good spot for a safety zone. And, you know, well, just different areas like, well, you don't need a sprinkler of these houses. If the fire rolls through, it's wide open spaces, right? Just different things. And it's like, just give you that, I guess, tactical advantage of where and what you need to do and what you don't need to do. Because prior to that, like, I had never placed a sprinkler on a house and taken lots down because you guys put them all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> so Silly firefighters. It's just, yeah, it was just so different from the first evacuation to the second evacuation, like being on the ground, being the boots on the ground, to being the guy in the fire hall. And of course, Lee's busy with what he's doing. I don't know what the chief does and all that's going on. Because, Nobody knows. Secret. You know, <laughs> and then like the support was overwhelming. You know, guys from Fort McMurray, guys from Slave Lake, guys from, I don't Enoch. even know, Enoch, you know, the Enoch Warriors. Guys are amazing. Like just the support and everybody melded. There was no, you know, we had task force leaders from our hall in every task force and you know, you have guys that are captains or whatever and full-time departments and they're taking orders from a firefighter because that firefighter knows the community and they're the task force leader. There was no, there was no pissing matches of who was in charge, whatever it was, it was set out in the morning. This is who's in charge of this task force. And they went to work and just everything that they, they fed the fish in the school, like <laughs> didn't even know there was fish in the school. They ate two probably on a bet too. How <laughs> <laughs> firefighters are. Who was that? He was mad. Somebody went in the school and didn't take their boots off. Oh yeah, made him mop the floor. And he he they mopped the floor. And then when the, when they were doing their cross shift with the whoever was coming in from Fort Mac, they would tell them where the fish food was, and how to feed the fish. 
and where all the different things were to check. So when they come back, it's all good. So that you make sure the fish are taken care of. And they said the first time we saw the fish, they said they all just swam up to us. You could tell they were hungry. (laughs) Nobody had fed the fish in probably three or four days. It's like, yeah, they were worried about the fish. No, it's all part of it, right? It's all. So so let's keep dialing it down. So Krista, you're there now. You're, You're part of this big event. I was a task force leader and we, we would have meetings out on site with all of the task force that were in my area just to take stress off them. And we figured out what we were going to do and we did it. Came in for lunch and went back out. It's kind of cool, like how it comes full circle, right? So you're the chief now, Lee, <laughs> right? You're the deputy, Mike. Chris is on the fire department and it's kind of, you remember your first one you were doing that and then Mike and it's kind of neat to watch how it kind of comes around so so Nan you're used to taking care of like 40 firefighters now there's 400 firefighters to take care of how was that how did that go for you actually we learned a lot from the first evac and uh, there were some things that were taken care of for us for instance because there were so many of us, they had a whole, they needed a whole team of people just to take care of the food. We started out just us in the fire hall taking care of that, but then they soon learned we can't manage that and do all the paperwork at the same time. <laughs> Kirsten, you remember some of that, eh? How do you, how do you feed 400 people with sandwiches? You get, call Sarah. <laughs> yeah. She makes sandwiches for a long time, then they come in and take them, and then she cries because they took them. <laughs> We were, but yes, I, I can relate. We were actually lucky because we only had, I think at the most, was 90 under our command. Okay. But right, because the forestry ones are all for, across they, there. They take care of themselves. Yeah, that's and right. Yeah. Usually, if, you, if they're not looking, there's lots of extra stuff for us to borrow. Over there. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But, uh, yeah. There, yeah, it was uh, only 90. It's no big deal. You yeah, nothing. <laughs> nothing. No, nothing like making soup for 90 people. <laughs> And it's it was doctors and doctors' wives and yeah, people that, that were, were from the community. The yeah, plumbers. People, plumbers. That was like the, the plumbers took over from the doctors and the doctors' Everybody wives. It wasn't Jimmy Ewell. Tell me it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was actually pretty awesome. That is cool. But they, I, it is neat how the community comes together. Yeah. Right, and takes care of everybody. I I'll remember those parts for the rest of my life for we, sure. We needed fittings to connect to the tanks and the. The different oil field companies in here, they let us take fittings right off their trucks. Parts, the equipment they need to do make their living, they never even balked. It's like, whatever you need, take it. We have empty space in our camps. You know, our, our fridges are full of food. If you if you need anything, just come and take it. Yeah. And they mean it, right? It's yeah. not about making a buck. It's no. not about, it's just about helping out. And yeah. Well, and all the plywood from <laughs> home hardware and all the dog food to feed the stray dogs that were roaming around. How'd you get plywood today, eh? They'd be like, no. Yeah. wouldn't give me the key to the plywood. Yeah. It's $50 billion worth of plywood. Wow. Okay, so let's kind of, just let's go around. What what do you love the most about the fire service? I think with Mike. Probably the same thing everyone says, the brotherhood. It's just sisterhood, brotherhood. Everyone gets along. Doesn't matter where I've trained, who I've trained with. I've trained with guys from St. Louis, guys from California, you know, full-time guys, volunteer guys, paid on call guys. And it's just, everybody just gets together for the same common goal and you work together and have a good time. Nice. All right, Krista, he took the easy one. He took that one. So I'm going to take fire is fun and the adrenaline rush and training. 
Get a little jack-up spirit there when you're yeah. head kicking the door in, right? Yeah. Nice. Two top ones are gone. If this was Family Feud, it's getting sparse <laughs> for you. <laughs> I actually really enjoy training. I like, I actually really love when you teach somebody, especially like some of the people that come into the fire hall have never turned a wrench. Don't even know where the dipstick is on their personal vehicle. And you can teach them how to like blow through something how to run a hose line, how to do a hydrant connection. And then sometimes you have to teach them because I'm fairly large. I can muscle things where they're not. So I have to teach them how to think different ways to do the same job. I just got to throw it in there because my daughter might listen to this. Sarah, the dipstick is that little thing that you pull out to check the oil. <laughs> <laughs> she and still doesn't know. It's okay. It's, I think it's awesome because when it, when it clicks, you see that little sparkle. Nice, yeah. Yeah, I like. I really like training people. I really like when they when they get it and they realize they can do it because I, I I've trained a lot of ladies, and a lot of them have been told all their life that they're a girl, and really, one of my favorite stories from the firefighting is, crew responded to a fire out in the oil field, the wind the day before had blown over a service rig, and then the next day the motor shack caught on fire. The guys respond out there, and they hit the fire. And the chief is actually running the truck. So Terry was our chief at the time, and he's standing back there, and the whole rig crew standing there watching. One of the firefighters comes out to give the chief a report, peels off the helmet and mask, and it's a young lady. Tells the chief what's up, mask back up, goes back in. And the comment from behind was, well, you know they got to have a token female on the fire department nowadays. Chief never said anything. He said... Uh, Basically, the report was they're pretty sure they had it. They're going to dump a little more water on it, move some things around. They're going to come out, take their break, and change the bottles. So they come out, and they start peeling off their gear. Everybody in the fire was a lady firefighter. <laughs> nice. Suck it, riggers. Yeah. Terry never said anything. <laughs> they all changed their bottles out. They chatted for a little while and laughed, drank a bottle of water. They went to go and do their checks to make sure it was cold. After they were aired up and left the truck, the chief turned around and goes, good thing we had our token female here to put out your fire <laughs> nice. mic drop yeah <laughs> I win. we've definitely have had a lot of girl power in our department over the years yeah. you you have actually Very so many times i've Very come up here and said that yeah I'm, i mean lots of times it's been like 50 50 i don't know if it's gone past that or not but oh yeah yeah for a little yeah. bit more they yeah. were gonna kick We're us little... out of our bathroom and take <laughs> they were going to take the bigger change room because they had us outnumbered. So yeah, nice. it was close. Yeah, nice. No, it's true. And it's been like that, like as far back as I can remember, it's yeah. been like that. When when women just weren't even interested in being on the fire department, there was lots that were up here, right? So it's yeah. been very inclusive of that. Yeah. So well, we got cool. a few firefighters because they dropped off their husband or their boyfriend for fire practice. And there was a lady firefighter standing outside saying, um, are you coming in too? And the girl was just like, um... Well, and you're just like, why don't you come try it out? Next thing you know, we've got another firefighter. Yeah. Right. Send your husband home, watch the kids. <laughs> Stay home, get the stuff. Right? But yeah, so, like, story. so some of them don't have the upper body strength. You teach them how to use leverage. 99% of what we do is skill. Right? If you know how to force a door properly, you don't have to be huge. You just have to know how to do it. So. He's taking your thunder. He's talking yeah. about forcing doors there. Yeah. I still uh, force more doors in here. I, I, I was kind of concerned once because one of the ladies was were doing VX and the jaws or the spreader slipped and knocked her back and it knocked her back probably three feet. She landed on her butt with the jaws on top of her 
And I was like leaning down to help her and she just rolled over, stood back up and rammed the drawers back in and blew the door off. I'm just like, okay, got yeah. it. Don't have to say anything to her. Nope. <laughs> She's got it. Yeah. Nice one. Just got to make her mad first. Yeah. <laughs> Nan, how about you? What do you love about today's fire service? I like that I can make a difference. Just little old me. I can actually make a difference. I can contribute. Nice. I she's, love that. She's downplaying her role. But oh, she's, yeah. she's, <laughs> she's, ever. she's like the chief's chief, yeah. right? Cause she's the glue. There's nothing that goes on here that she doesn't know. And well, she, that's not true. Well, it's, it's pretty true. <laughs> she keeps us all together. She keeps us well fed. We don't miss a piece of paper because anything that's got to be sent in, it's if you forget a signature, a date, whatever, it's back in your face within 30 seconds and <laughs> you're signing that and you're like, sorry, I won't do that again. <laughs> no, it's, it's that's awesome. And, and you have to have that, right? Kirsten, you just said it, right? The glue. It's You can have all the best pieces, but something has to hold it all together, right? And so I think that a little bit of everything you said holds it together, right? Our our ability and want to be part of it and to help out, you know, the training pieces, the let's kick this fire's ass pieces and, uh, you know, the camaraderie of it all. I actually had to learn how to spell camaraderie because I would do the annual evaluations and every single firefighter would say camaraderie, camaraderie, camaraderie. <laughs> I was like, geez. One of these days I should learn how to spell camaraderie because they probably look like an idiot on these forms, right. filling it out different all the time. I say so. brotherhood. That's, that's it. Yeah. So, yeah, you shouldn't say it if you can't spell it. That's so, right. Fair. That's fair. 100%. Love it. So big challenges out there, right? It's not easy to run a fire service in today's world. The the volunteer systems are, are falling apart because people don't have time to volunteer or, or don't want to, or we're trying to get too much of their time. So, you know, when I look at the paid on call fire service system, even the full-time career service, the volunteer ones that are left, there there's big challenges, right? And so... I guess I just throw it out there and say, what, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges and what do you think we could do about them? It's definitely recruitment. Yeah, recruitment. It's, it's hard to get the people through the door. And then after the getting them through the door is a retention. Probably, I would say, 30%, right? After getting them through the door for actual retention. To try and keep them. To try and keep them. You know, yeah. the people that are that want to make a difference, that want to help, that want to do the training, they're obviously engaged and going to stay. But you get some people that are kind of like the tire kicker shopping for a new car and they think, well, maybe it's not really for me. And, you know. I feel like our numbers are the same. I always call it the rule of 50%. 50% of the people will stay. 50% of those people will be highly committed. And 50% of those people are available at any given time in a paid on call system. So you have to have a big number if you start dividing in half all the time as you move down, right? So to get five people on a truck, you need 40 people to start. So I know that's too much math for everybody out there. I apologize for that. But uh, I, I agree with you. Like, get, getting them in the hall is one thing, but keeping them in the hall and keeping them interested and excited is the biggest challenge of all. I think it was easier when it was just firefighting. Yeah, for sure. Like when my first fire department, there was a single engine fire hall and it was just firefighting. So you could learn that, you could do that. And we trained every second week. So there wasn't a lot of training nights. And then you come into, I went into High Prairie after that. And then they did highway rescue as well. So then you had to learn VX and they did more training nights. And then up here, we basically, because we used to have a few guys that were shift workers, 
So in order for them to hit training, you have to train every week. And then they can usually hit, you know, two training, two training nights a month. Right. So you start taking more and more people's time. And then you throw in Saturdays, a couple Saturdays in the summer when it's nice, maybe one in the fall or the spring. And it starts burning up a lot of time. You're asking a lot of people. And there is, there's people out there that are willing to do it. But uh, finding them and, and keeping them is getting hard. Yeah, keeping them happy and yeah. keeping them well fed. Yeah. <laughs> Steak night, hey Mike? Steak night. Better bring that back. <laughs> I'm hearing that people need incentives. Yeah. I, yeah, I could agree. I, you know what? I, I often will sit around with a group of firefighters and, you know, the old boys will be sitting there and jawing with me about things that we remember, but uh, they forget like today, a teenager has to pay for their phone. They're trying to save for a car, right? They have expenses, expenses that we never dreamed of when, when we were kids, they, those things didn't exist. We weren't trying to save up for an XJ back in the day. Right. So <laughs> it was, <laughs> Um, you know, they, they have expenses. And so, you know, a job, the definition of a job is trading your time for money, right? Trading your labor for money. And so uh, it's really kind of turned into a job. It's too much time. It's too much. Right. And that that whole drive, like we're just going to help the community was fine when it was 30 calls a year, two hours every second week. And half of that was probably just having some fun and goofing around. And I don't disagree. I mean, you add medical, you add hazmat, you know, you add all of the technical rescue challenges that we're up against, the wildfire structure protection pieces, and, and how do we get it all done, right? We want to say yes to everything. That's the firefighter way. You know, can you help with this? Yes. You know, oh, people call 911, then we come, right? But how many things can we do? And so that's kind of like, so right now we're up here doing this big evaluation of the fire service and, and you can see it in people's eyes. They're excited because there could be change and it's kind of cool and kind of nerve wracking and kind of scary and also kind of pisses you off at the same time because you're getting this, you don't know what you don't know. And then someone tells you and it's like, you know, did I miss that? How come I didn't know that? Why aren't we doing that? Or the reverse of that, how are we going to do that? How will we fit that in? So, you know, for all of you, I've seen you just through these talks, you, you can see it in your faces and you can see it in your eyes where you're like, how are we going to figure this all out? How do we do more and more and more? With less and less yeah. and less. I'll, I'll tell you what I tell people. We don't. Right. So then what happens? Right. The public has expectations that are through the roof and they want them for costs that are bargain basement. And it doesn't work that way. Right? And firefighters, we're our own worst enemy. We say yes to everything, we'll do everything, we'll take it all on our shoulders, we'll load it all up and carry it with us. But, you know, there, there's a point. There's a point where there's not enough resources, there's not enough people, there's not enough time, there's not enough money, training, whatever, right? And when it gets too hard, what do people do? Find other interests. When they find other interests, we lose them. So, yeah, it's it's ugly, right? I don't know what we do about it though. Like, what are you know? Do you guys have ideas? What are the changes? We've thought about specialty training because I know that I know Calling Lake has people that are just do their medical calls. They're on the fire department. They just do medical calls. So it's like okay, we could probably do something like that as well. So if you don't want to do the firefighting part, but you want to do this part, we'll get you trained up to do just that part. But even finding people that just want to do that, 
we have lots of people that want to come in and help with dispatch. We don't need 15 dispatchers. Right. Yeah. We need 15 firefighters. Now, if we can get 20 firefighters, now we can maybe split into two crews, so you can have weekend, you can have a week on, week off, and just cover for each other. So if they need extra manpower, they can put out a second page. So stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. it's it's we're there though, right? Like people yeah. are like, what do we do? Like we have to start thinking of things and ways to make it work. And it's not going to be, you know, smaller communities. It's not going to be full time firefighters. I, I work at a city, and I can tell you, getting enough money to pay the firefighters is a big problem. Never mind, you know, when you have three or four thousand people. So that, that's funny because it's actually been said a few times. It's like, well, we'll just we'll get a paid fire department. I'm just like, you guys are upset about the budget we have right now. Yeah, you bet. You want to pay people to do this. You have no idea how expensive that yeah, is. 20 firefighters be two and a half million dollars, right? Plus your regular expenses, plus your regular capital. So it's not, uh, I mean, even if you can afford it, is it the way to do it? Or do we just, how do we figure it out, right? I, I totally get it. I don't know if there's an answer. Sadly, I hope there is, because one of my jobs I get paid to figure out is to figure out the answer. <laughs> the, our latest recruitment class, though, the, the four of the young guys that came in, they're all very driven so far. They pay very close attention to the training. They're doing very well in the couple of training nights that we've done with them. So I think that's, that's looking up that we're, because it used to be when we get a training group in, we'd lose 50% almost immediately yeah. once they realized that it wasn't just like the Lions Club or one of the other volunteer organizations, you know, where you show up once a month and do an hour's work. It's oh, like, you need a driver's license? Yeah. You need a driver's oh, wow, license. Yeah. You need a driver's license. You have to be, you have to be fairly committed and there's a whole lot of rules you have to follow. Yeah. Which people aren't in love with either for sure. Yeah. So, so I don't think it'd be fair to not be up here and not talk a little bit about relationships, right? So we talked a little bit about it before, but I mean, um, I'll specifically talk about your relationship with the Big Stone Fire Department, right? The First Nation guys next door. I've seen that grow from 2015 where they showed up with the truck with six hoses on it, all covered in dirt and mess yeah. to today's, you know, they take the training, they do the work, they got nice trucks, they got nice gear yeah. and they work together with training. So that's, that's been fun to watch that kind of grow up, I guess, and grow through the system. You know, how do you think about that relationship? I didn't know this, but before I joined the fire department, there was actually uh, fist fights between the fire departments. It was, it was, they did not like each other. They did not work together. They didn't even like to be anywhere near each other. And now it's almost like one fire department. For the last two years, because we both have low numbers, we've been co-responding to structure fires and MVCs. And it doesn't matter whether it's on our side of the line or their side of the line, whoever gets there first starts dealing with it. And then when the other guy shows up, if it's actually in his area, we'll ask, do you want to take command? And if we're usually 99% of the time, if you're already rolling, they're like, nope, what do you need? Very, very rare. We don't have really any issues. There's it's no borders. There's no lines. There's yeah. no lines. There's yeah. no boundaries. So the, it's, yeah, turf part's gone. No, there's right. no, yeah, it's there's like no a, turf. Exactly. Yeah. It's... Uh, I was going to say, do you remember, Mike and Krista, when I came up and you guys were at the Yellow House and there was a bunch of people from Big Stone on the fire department and we were going in and out? You were, I just popped in to say hi. I wasn't doing any of the training. And there was, I, I asked you all the little kids who were all the little oh. kids. <laughs> the there, was, there was a firefighter, you know, like four and a half feet tall there and uh, put the SCBA on him and he was like, whoa. He's four and three quarters feet tall now. <laughs> He's getting a little taller. And and I was like, what? what is going on here, right? Like, 
is this the junior firefighters? No, this is the firefighter firefighters. And, uh, you know, so I had to stick around. And so, you know, we're all chatting like we always do. And, and you could actually see them, you know, muscle up and get in there and kick some doors down and, and uh, learn what had to be learned. I, I'm not sure why I was even up here. Maybe some Slate Lake guys were working with you that weekend or something. Yeah, I think yeah, they, you, you were putting on, uh, they were taking their 1001 through you guys. Okay. And and Slave Lake was coming up to do the practical trainings with him. Okay, so I probably just tagged along for a free sandwich or one of yeah, I probably thought Nan was cooking. I'm not ashamed to say that I definitely would have thought of that if I was coming up for sure. And so uh, you know that that's one that sticks in my mind where it was just like they were listening to every single thing that God said and they were sucking that in and it was just like wow, there's that relationship piece again where it's like they they're totally into this right tg was i think the deputy at that point or or something maybe even or maybe a captain working his way captain, captain at that time so. yeah right and so there's like you know full of piss and vinegar eager to learn everything chatting your ear off all the time and and it was just like man this is such a cool day right i remember it just being so much fun and so to keep hearing about that relationship and seeing it uh grow and drive and and uh how different it is from you know 15 years ago that uh, it, it's super cool to me. It's it's a lot of fun working with them there, and and it, it's kind of humbling at times too because they they kind of look up to us as as mentors because of, you know we've got a little more experience and more training. But you'll be on scene, and first thing that DC, what do you need? You know, go do this, and it's done. It's like you know, or you see them struggling with something, and just take a minute, and show them how to you know do this properly, and boom, next time you see them, that's how they're doing it, right? It's yeah. You know, it's just such a, a progression of, like you said, 15 years ago. I wasn't here then, but, you know, even from when I started and we're working with them to now, the changes, the, the evolution they've gone through, like, you know, and we work so close together, like for everything, structure fires, grass fires, NBCs, and it's just, it's like, it's like we're one department. Which is awesome. You know, That's how it should be, right? Yeah. When their land surrounds the land that you got to take care of, and and yeah. it's uh, everybody's working together. So uh, I'm going to leave it right there. I, this has been a great talk. Thank you everyone for coming, uh, being part of this. I don't think you can end on a better talking about a great relationship between two fire departments that are are making good things happen up here in uh, Wabuska, Northern Alberta. So thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Thanks for participating. And uh, I'm sure I'll be back. Everyone's going to want to hear more from the notorious Bissell brothers. We take this and, as a threat uh, or a promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know me well enough to know exactly what it is. Mike, so. All right. Thanks, everybody. Episode 16, Growing Up Fire. Check us out on Instagram Facebook. Thanks for listening to Growing Up Fire today. Follow me on Instagram at Chief Coots to comment or send questions. We appreciate your support.